This is a really big group tonight. How many people are new, first time here? That's probably why, a lot of new people. Did you all come together? (laughs) Yes or no? No. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's good. We're glad you're here. Um, I have all kinds of little things with me tonight. On Saturday, I started uh, talking about characteristics of Buddhism. Because when we, when we start talking about the precepts, like we've been talking about all, all the last few months, it's important to recognize that the precepts we take are, are guidelines for morality and ethical behavior. Those are all part of the essential teachings of the Buddha. So they're not a separate thing or kind of a throwaway piece of it. They're actually uh, really part of the core teachings. And they, they are in all spiritual teachings. It's it just, if you look at any religion or any spiritual teacher who's, who's really together, who's really on a good path, then, then you see that in their path, that our behavior and our thoughts and our actions are all really important. So the path isn't just about what we believe, what we, we have decided, oh, I like this belief, so that's what I believe. It's not just about that. Our spiritual path is about how we live and how we act and how we speak. And so it's not a, a passive scholarly activity. So I thought it would be good to talk a little bit about what is the what is the essential part of the of Buddha's path that we're that we need to understand. And I think before we even take the precepts, I mean we're we're all working on the precepts, whether we take the ceremony or not. We're all working on cleaning up our speech and. Uh, just cleaning up how we do things, how we how we world, becoming more harmless to ourselves and other living beings, and trying to have a speech that's harmless and kind and true, and uh, we're we're all doing that. Whatever whatever we're doing, we're we're working at. We with that whether we are thinking of the precept ceremony or not, but. A lot of times we think uh, Buddhism is kind of uh, wonderful ideas and a wonderful philosophy, but I'm not sure what I'm really supposed to be studying or knowing or what's, how do I know all the, like the ins and outs, how do I know what I need to be reading or I need to be thinking about. And so when we talk about the essential teachings of the Buddha, Everything else will come from that, and really, if we if we really work with the, those essential teachings, everything comes to us. I mean, then our experience becomes our teacher, and we just keep working with those essential teachings. So it's not as overwhelming. If you look at all the books of the Buddha's uh, suttas, his talks, you can easily get overwhelmed. It's like, you know, they're at least say, nine big books. It looked like nine Old and New Testaments. So it's a, it looks daunting. 
but he but the Buddha's teachings covered about a 40-year period, so he did a lot of talks, and these are um, these talks were memorized for that three or four hundred years before they were written down. But if you know the essentials, you can work with that. You can fill up your lifetime working with just those. So I found this really wonderful. Um, I go on a site called academia.edu, and it's a lot of, uh, it, you can find this if you go to academia.edu and download it for free. Uh, but it's, it's a, the same writer has done about 10 or 12 uh, really good uh, long papers about the life of the Buddha and the outline of all the teachings of the Buddha. And this one was about the essential teachings of, of the Buddha. And when I was looking at it, I realized, you know, the, taking the precepts is right in there with the essential teachings. There's no separation. So uh, even, even when we're talking about the five precepts and the eight precepts and the ten perfections, those are things that get us right into living the teachings of the Buddha and the qualities that we're developing. They're, they're all what the Buddha was teaching. So even if that's all you study, you're getting right to the heart of the teachings of the Buddha. And what he taught was we have to live all of this. It doesn't matter if we study it or, or if we're a scholar. The only thing that matters is when we're actually doing it, when it's the way we live. So I really like this, uh, this characteristics of Buddhism. And it's several pages, but um, I'll, I'll just pick out some of my favorites, and if you're interested in it, you can uh, go to this site and print it out. The, um, he starts out talking about it's a, Buddhism is a moral and philosophical system that expounds a unique path to enlightenment and is not a subject to be studied from a mere academic standpoint. And it's, I love it because it's an academic who's writing this paper. Um, and all, he wrote a lot, so I think he's well-grounded in Buddhism. Buddhism is based on personal experience. As such, it is rational and not speculative. So we're not sitting around like uh, speculating on things. A lot of the things that we typically speculate on in this world, the Buddha said, those are, those are unanswerable questions. Don't even ask those questions. Like there are certain things that he said, are not even to the point of what he came to teach. And they are those speculative questions that people debate about and love to, love to, you know, get in arguments about, or my way's right, your way is wrong. And the Buddha said, those questions, we don't have time for questions like that because that's not what it's about. If you're trying to live a good, wholesome life, a harmless life, where you're not harming yourself and you're not harming any, well, the planet, we've done a terrible job with that one, but where you've not, you're not harming animals, the planet, each other, yourself. Um, that's, that's the path that he's talking about. And so it's all comes down to how we, how we live each day 
each minute of our lives. So the speculative questions to the Buddha were really, that it was a, it was a real distraction from what's really important. And when we're focused on the things that are important, we have no need to debate and argue about, you know, is there a real, is there a creator God or not? Is there a soul or not? Is there, uh, you know, there are eight questions that he talked about. They're, they're unanswerable questions. And if people tried to engage him in a debate, it would all, almost always be about those questions. And so he would, he wouldn't answer. He might try to see what they really wanted to know and answer the question that they were really trying to often trick him with to get into a debate with him. So it's a, it's, so it's a very practical and rational path. Um, rational understanding is the keynote of Buddhism. Blind beliefs are rejected. Instead of beliefs and dogmas, the importance of practice is emphasized. Mere beliefs and dogmas cannot liberate a person. So what we believe up in our head isn't what earns us enlightenment. It's not what helps us reach the goal. And there's no, there are no gods in Buddhism to be, to be worshipped and honored. So then the next, the, the number 10 thing that is that morality and wisdom are, are the essential things to achieving enlightenment. Morality being the first and wisdom being the second. And so morality is what we're talking about with the precepts. Morality extended to developing those qualities like compassion and loving kindness and uh, equanimity and patience and uh, renunciation. So those 10 qualities that we're always working on, they're all in the precepts. And the, the, so we start, usually when we talk about Buddhism, we start with the Four Noble Truths. And I like what he says about the Four Noble Truths. And he said that those have to be verified by our own experience. We can't just say, I'm Buddhist, so I believe in the Four Noble Truths. That doesn't make any difference. What we have to do is is experience the Four Noble Truths, and he talks about the ways uh, that we, we experience it by analyzing them, scrutinizing them, examining them, and working with them in our own life. So the First Noble Truth is about suffering or dukkha or stress or dissatisfaction. And that's what we begin with. We see, we recognize that, that, we, that there's a part of us that's never completely satisfied, never completely happy. There's always an itch. There's always something that we're missing or something we have too much of or uh, we're, we're never totally satisfied for more than a few seconds at a time. So whatever we get, we then want more, or we don't like it, so we want to get rid of it. So that's what we call dukkha, and that uh, is, has always been translated as suffering, but it's much more subtle than that. 
it's hard for us to think about suffering, but it's easy to think about the things that we are that we stress out about, the things that we are, uh, you know, one minute we're happy, one minute we're not happy. That part of our life. So the what we have to learn is that that's the nature of this world. That's just the nature of being in this reality, and so. The Buddha doesn't stop there. He doesn't say there's suffering and you just got to deal with it. He says there's suffering. The second truth is there's a cause for that suffering. And the cause of that suffering is our craving, our wanting things. And so the craving is that when we attach to something and we don't want to let it go. So we find something we like and we decide, I want more of it. If I get more of this, it'll make me happy. And so we hang on to it with dear life. And it's the not being able to let go of it that causes us to suffer. Because what, we're, what we learn is that there's everything we love we'll lose at some point. Uh, we'll lose our, our loved ones, we'll lose you know, uh, youth and uh, beauty and strength, we'll lose all that. And we will we'll, we'll eventually grow old, We'll get sick along the way, and we'll all die. And everything we love will be the, do the same thing. So the nature of this world is that there's no nothing is permanent. All the things that are uh, conditioned are impermanent. So we can never keep anything. So anything we crave is holding on to things really tightly. That's what causes all the suffering in the world, because we don't we can say, I know everybody dies, and I know everything dies, but if we're, we, sometimes it's very hard to let go of that. Or, uh, or, or we know, well, we don't always have what we want. But it's, the reality is that sometimes we're still, our unhappiness is caused because we're, we're wanting something back that can't come back. Or, uh, we think the next, maybe the next raise in our salary will be the thing that makes us happy. And then we discover that that's not, that doesn't make us happy. Maybe for a little bit, but then we realize, no, it's not, that's not it. So it's a constant search. But the reality is that all things are impermanent in this world, and they're of the nature to uh, rise up and then decay and fall apart. So that's the bad news, but we already know that, right? We see it when we look. If we open our eyes, we see it in nature. We see it with every, we see it with flowers. That's the reason we always have fresh flowers on an altar. Is because they're so beautiful. And then very quickly the petals start to fall off. Maybe the smell becomes heavy and uh before you know it, you have to go put them in the garbage. And that's exactly the nature of everything in this, this human world and in this natural world that we live in. And then the third truth is about uh, that there, we, can, we can get rid of that. So this suffering is in the world, but we don't have, we're not stuck with it. And the only thing we have to do is, is let go of that craving and to see things very clearly. And so 
that's the way out. And then the, then the next big part of the essential teaching is the way we get out of that, get away from suffering and away from that attachment to things that are not permanent, is to work with the four, with the eightfold path. The eightfold path, three, three of the eight parts are about morality, about right speech, right action, right livelihood. And two are about wisdom, so that's our intention and our understanding. Our intention to do no harm, our intention to uh, try to try to try to uh, work all the time with those that four noble the four noble truths, and the wisdom that we start with is to work with the four noble truths, and and see how that how that relates to to your life, and see where you it's a great way to see where you're stuck in your life. Where am I stuck? Where can I not get past this feeling of unhappiness or dissatisfaction or, you know, what always kind of has me going, gets my goat? And that's probably an area where you're not allowing something to, to be what it is. And that is impermanent and doesn't belong to us. It's not ourself. It's not about us. It doesn't belong to us. It's not... It's not who we are, and uh, those things that we that we can't separate from ourselves, and the things that we can't let go of, are the things that will keep being issues in our life. We will see it when we begin sitting in meditation. We start seeing those things will just kind of come up to us when we're sitting and being quiet, and we see the things that we're hanging on to. Or something that we're hanging on to may not be what we think we're hanging on to. Those are always fun to just pop up in your head because you're being quiet. And then the others, the other part, there's wisdom, there's morality, and the, the third part of the Eightfold Truth is about right uh, awareness, right mindfulness, right and right concentration. So it's about the part of our practice that is our meditation. Because that's where we that's where we gain insight, and that's when we learn to work with our emotions and calm our emotions down, learn to work with our thoughts and our mind. So that's the eightfold path, and we just stay on that. That's where everything we need to know we can by living that eightfold path, and we're always at maybe all eight points at the same time. But by living that path where we are going through all those basic teachings of the Buddha. So, see, I'm going to save you. You don't have, there are about 10 or 100 books you don't have to read if you just keep going back to the real basic essentials. Um, let's see. He also talks about that Buddhism offers... Uh, it offers a way of life for lay people, so you can be a lay woman, a lay man, or you can be a monastic man or a woman, and that's what he calls the sangha. The sangha is that community of all those people. And so monasticism is really a choice that, you, that people can make. Like this, it's more, it's almost like, I don't, I don't want to say a lifestyle choice, but it's... Uh, 
it's a it's a choice you can make. There's no obligation to do it, or you don't have to do it. So a, a lay person has a, a, a some different focuses in their life, like a family and jobs, and you know being part of a community and having to make decisions about your investments and your money and your family and all that, and different responsibilities. And so if you're a monastic, your focus is on, your focus is more on the, the teachings and studying the teachings and meditation and, you know, keeping, keeping a temple together. And, uh, it's, so your focus is not on a family and, uh, civic responsibilities in the community the same way it is for a lay person. And so that's, it's just like he gave people a choice. Like if you don't, if you want to kind of back away from the mainstream, there's a there's a path to do that within his teachings, and so monks and nuns are not like priests. I mean, that we're not mediators between, say, God and people. It's it's it doesn't work that way. So uh, what a monk or a nun is is someone who's like a specialist, just like. If you're a layperson, you you're, you might be a real estate specialist if you've moved around a lot, and, or you've uh, you've had to juggle your family and your job and your kids and all kinds of other things. You know, we all we all are doing what we need to do, so they're they're just different. There's not one isn't better than the other. I like that he mentions that, and the Buddha. You know, the things I always think about with the Buddha was he was really radical. Um, he, he, he ordained women as monastics, and he, he, he said, of course, women are exactly like men, like their, their minds are the same, and if a man can be enlightened, a woman can be enlightened, and uh, that women could also be ordained as, as monks the same way men could. And there, there weren't any other religions that was that were doing that in his day, it, and it was really uh, difficult for women to be unmarried. They were usually, you know, they were always just kind of married off when they were really young, and so his thinking was really progressive. And he also didn't believe in the caste system, and that was that was. Uh, and all his monks were living together and regardless of the caste they were in and that was ne- never done in society so uh, he, I, I think he was I don't want to call him a rebel because he was really a, a widely respected teacher but, his, but he was going uh, way out on a limb you know if he hadn't been uh, as good a teacher and as as just a, a fine teacher and a fine person, his teachings would have been easily easy for people to reject. But he was—he knew that that was, uh, you know, he—he was—he stood up for what he knew was right, what was true. So I like that a lot about the Buddha as a teacher. But anyway, when you think about the precepts, don't think about them as just. Uh, a side thing. The, those precepts are what get you into the essence of the Buddhist teachings. Uh, 
Just think of the five precepts. You're doing no harm to yourself and no harm to other living beings. And you're not taking things that don't belong to you. And you're not uh, engaging in sexual misconduct, so you're not harming another person. You're not harming yourself. And you're not uh, telling any kind of, you're not using any kind of false speech. And then later we, we work on, we're not speaking harshly, and we're not speaking uh, maliciously. And then we're not the one that we all tremble at. We're not engaging in uh, idle chatter, which I must confess, that's the one I have to work on the most. <laughs> Still working on that one. Uh, so and then not engage, not engaging in intoxicants and um, drugs, recreational drugs, not medicinal drugs that cause us to lose our mindfulness. And that was very important for the Buddha because his whole thing was you're working with your mind. We're seeing we're, we have a human life. It's just the best life you can have to work with your mind because we have a big brain. And our brain is is the uh, the human brain is it's a it's a really wonderful thing to have it, and so he wanted us to work with that mind to push evolution with our mind as far as we could. He knew that the mind was capable of so much more than you know people just living by old beliefs and not thinking and just doing what they're what they had always done. And uh, they were the rich and they were the poor and not many people in between and people didn't have to think because the religious rituals were so set up and uh, if you were born in this caste, you did this and if you were in another caste, you even did, your religion was different or the things that you could do were different. And so he knew that our minds were, he knew that our minds were so much more capable of, uh, seeing reality and working with reality and learning how to that we can be happy that we don't have to suffer and we all have to experience pain but he knew that we didn't have to suffer with this sort of uh, constant gee I wish life was better gee I wish I was really happy I don't know if I'm really happy and and I think that was that's now science is kind of catching up with him and we know now that we do, we can continue learning, and we our brain does continue uh, growing even even into old age. Uh, and he, we know so much more about the brain, and everything you read about it will refer you back to the teachings of the Buddha, because he was talking about these things. And in physics, you see the same thing. All the quantum physics people will talk about it and go back to what things that the Buddha taught, that the Buddha knew these things before science had uh, like rediscovered them. So I think that was because the Buddha wanted us to work with our minds. And so even in the precepts, he's saying, we can, we can do better. We don't need to uh, put our brains to sleep. You know, it's, it's okay if we're, if we're going through difficult times. We can work with that. A better way than to than to put our our mind our brain to sleep so we don't have to deal with it. So um, 
if you work with those things, then you've then you've got it covered. You know, you, if you're if if you work with the four noble truths and the eightfold path and the precepts, what every precept means, what the ten perfections are about, that's all you have to worry about working with. The rest is like a piece of cake. The rest is the icing, and. Uh, so many people will say, I don't even know how to, where to start. So how do I study? That? How do I find out about this? So now you know. Now you can tell them. <laughs> so that's my talk for tonight. Thank you very much. I can, the, the one the really important announcement, tomorrow night is the, at 6, 7 to 7.45, we have a, it's a shorter service. We only do one once a month, and it's uh, the second Thursday. What? Second Thursday. Once every month, the second Thursday, uh, Bhante Asaji and Bhante Amita do uh, chanting, and then you can meditate while they're chanting. It's a, it's a really beautiful service. Some, it's the favorite service for a lot of people I know. And you can also bring an item. Some people bring a bracelet or a watch or if you have mala beads or anything you want. And you put it in a basket. And when they're chanting, those, those items are just picking up good energy, right? They, they pick up the blessings. The, the chants are all uh, what we call blessings, which are about beautiful qualities to have and are about beautiful ways we can be as human beings. And so the, the chanting just has a, a nice effect on our bodies. And so if they're chanting and you're just meditating, it's usually a lovely experience. So that's tomorrow night. And I think we... Did you find...